Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. And another one. One more time. Get out of it! Out of your car! In your car! Watch out! One after another, after another, vehicles sent sliding across Metro Vancouver. Commuters describe utter chaos as roadways and bridges became impassable. With snow and vehicles piling up, it was tough for tow trucks and plows to do their work. Many drivers were stuck for hours, some giving up completely and abandoning their vehicles. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The frustration throughout the Lower Mainland was palpable today as drivers doubled back to collect their vehicles. Many wondering why this mayhem happened. And wondering how to prevent it from happening again with the next storm system just a couple of days away. More on that in a moment, but right now Julie Nolan is live near the Portman Bridge tonight. One of the scenes of chaos last night and she joins us now with more. Julie? Yeah, what a difference 24 hours can make. Traffic is moving along as it should, heading on to the bridge tonight. But now many people are wondering, are we ready next time? If you had a commute on Tuesday afternoon, you probably lived through some heavy gridlock and traffic at a standstill. Couldn't go anywhere. There's nothing to do. You were just trapped, essentially. Drivers trapped for several hours in their vehicles in the bitter cold. Callers into our sister station CKNW reveal the frustration and desperation. This is unbelievable. I've been on the road now for five and a half hours to get from Coquitlam to Richmond. Crawling along at top speeds of five kilometers an hour, one commuter says it took her nine hours to get home. It was a nightmare. I got in at around 2.30 in the morning. I finally arrived safely home. I've never, ever experienced anything like this in my life. I had to be on the phone with my brother and my mom on the phone hands-free just to stop myself from like having a panic attack. So it just doesn't make sense how it got so like, so crazy and how much havoc there was on the roads yesterday. Every corner of Metro Vancouver was affected in some way by this blast of winter and Mother Nature took no exceptions. It should be about a 45-50 minute commute at that time of the day. I got home at 4 a.m. An eight-hour commute home. And if you weren't stuck on a bridge or a major roadway... Streets turned into sheets of ice. There we go. And another one. One more time. Add in that some cars and trucks were lacking suitable tires for the conditions, spinning around like some kind of vehicle ballet. Oh, nice to tell you. What happened last night highlights the challenges that we have in the Lower Mainland for me. Number one, it's about traffic management, moving accidents out of the way as soon as possible. How do other cities do it, and how to do it better than we do? We had cars spun out, trucks spun out. Uh, buses spun out and once that started happening it just became gridlock really hard for our trucks to get out 
road maintenance contractors say conditions shifted unexpectedly and made it tough for crews to clear up hazards. They say snow came quicker than expected and saw the Alex Fraser and Queensboro bridges and the Massey Tunnel seeing the biggest impacts. People have to expect some patience. You know, we knew this weather was coming in. Um, you know, we were watching weather for about a week out, knowing that something was going to happen. Oh, oh, get out of the way! Get out of the way! What the? While angry drivers want to know who dropped the ball, the Ministry of Transportation contends traffic congestion created challenging conditions for road crews. Roads are now clearing up, but hold on, these treacherous conditions could be returning. The next significant weather is coming later in the week. So our contractors are now taking a look at last night's event to see if there's anything that they can do differently in preparation for Friday's event. So it's a good reminder to have basic supplies in your vehicle like winter gear or even extra food. Plus, make sure your tires are rated for these conditions or just stay home. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Julie Nolan reporting uh, near the Portman Bridge. Now, moving on to the Fraser Valley, where there was enough snow to shut down schools today. Students didn't seem to mind, instead heading to tobogganing hills. Let's go to Ahmad Agahi now. And uh, Ahmad, despite the snow day, some say it wasn't without its challenges. Yeah, it snowed here just as intensely as it did everywhere else in the lower mainland. And what's left is these residential streets where the snow is only half melted and quite messy. Take a look at the difference between a well-maintained road and one that really hasn't been touched yet. And a lot of people are going to find it sluggish driving through those conditions, but still quite an improvement from 24 hours ago. Was that fun? You got to fight for your spot. When there's a little bump, that's the spot that gets busy. The conditions were perfect, and Raylan Olenek went for it. I've sledded a lot, but this is basically the first time in my entire life that I've done the best jump. She and just about every kid here waking up to find they had the day off. The teachers can't drive because it's too icy. Since in the morning, the snow was about this high. Hi, hey, they turned off, they shut down school. Tuesday's snowstorm causing school closures in Abbotsford, Langley, Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows, Mission, and Chilliwack. And despite Fraser Valley roads and highways seeming to have recovered, there were subtle reminders of the chaotic evening run. Last night got pretty busy. Today is probably going to be the worst. I'm doing okay for 81 years old. I can shovel, I can stand up, I can do a few things. For many, Wednesday morning was also the first opportunity to take on shoveling this snowfall as the intense winds had died down. Got the blower out, yeah, yeah, it's a back saver. The haves have snow blowers, the have-nots just have a, a 995 shovel. So a much calmer day here in the Fraser Valley. Surprisingly, despite all that snow and wind, the area did manage to escape without any major uh, power outages. The challenge now is clearing any snow that's left uh, before temperatures drop below zero overnight. Chris, Sophie. Let's hope they can get that done. Madagahi reporting in the Fraser Valley for us.
Sailings on BC ferries are back on regular schedules today after most major routes were cancelled Tuesday afternoon. All trips across the Strait of Georgia were axed after 3 p.m. due to bad weather, with BC ferries expecting winds up to 90 kilometres an hour. Snowfall warnings were also in place for many areas. Passengers who booked spots on any of the cancelled sailings will be contacted by BC ferries for a refund. Well, cleanup is underway to move an empty barge that ran aground during yesterday's winter storm in a squimalt. Fortunately, no one was hurt and there's no environmental damage. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the incident is a reminder of the dangers that lurk when the weather acts up. Another year, another storm. And it seems history is repeating itself. It just came in, it came in fast, so big crash when it hit the rocks. The Lafarge cement barge ran aground in a squimalt after its towing bridle broke during Tuesday's storm. Now stuck between Harrison Island and McLaughlin Point. Crews boarding the 80-meter vessel Wednesday morning got to work, pumping out water and attaching lines for towing. They've been dumping water at that volume for Hours and hours and hours since I got up this morning at 7. You know, they should have been able to get it off there, I would have thought by now, but obviously it got hold. It comes almost a year to the day the infamous English Bay barge slipped its anchor and drifted dangerously towards False Creek, but ran aground on Sunset Beach, pushed by wind gusts of 70 kilometers an hour on one of the year's highest tides. Legend was born on a cold Monday morning. There were songs, there were signs, and the barge was stubborn. I think it's time to go. <laughs> Give us back our park. Towing it was a bust, and it was August before work to dismantle it finally began. On the one-year anniversary, the job was nearly done. After this is all complete, we'll remove the piles that were installed as a preventative measure. Then just last week, a potential sequel, when a gravel barge capsized near the same spot. The question now, will Victoria be getting a barge of its own? I mean, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Global News has reached out to Lafarge for comment, but did not receive a response. According to Fisheries and Oceans Canada, there are no safety or pollution concerns, adding the barge is reported to be empty. In a statement, Transport Canada writes, it is working with the barge owner to implement a safe recovery plan for the barge. But with the tide now out, it's a waiting game. And for how long is anyone's guess? Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. High winds, lots of snow. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. That was an incredible evening commute yesterday. What are we expecting tonight and into tomorrow? What do we need to prepare for? Well, our biggest concern is really the ice. We had a lot of melt today, so there's moisture on the roads, the sidewalks. There's a lot of slush and snow still on side street, and all of that is going to refreeze. So here's a look. We'll drop down to minus 3 to minus 5 across Metro Vancouver, and through the morning hours, the wind chills could be as low as minus 10 through the Metro Vancouver region and minus 15 out through the Fraser Valley. So we're definitely worried about ice. In addition to that, we could see a few light flakes fall across southern Vancouver Island 
Island from Nanaimo down to Victoria. Minor amounts, but this is a heads up. And that's the case out through the Fraser Valley. I wouldn't be surprised if Metro Vancouver saw a few flakes fall. But the main event is Friday, and I want to give everyone a heads up. This one, there's a lot of uncertainty around it in terms of the track, how much. So stay tuned. I'll have all the details, and I'll show you my biggest concerns. All right. We'll look forward to that. Thanks, Christy. Now, well, for many, the snowstorm last night probably felt like a disaster. A new study suggests real natural disasters cost the B.C. economy as much as seven, uh, pardon me, $17 billion last year. That would make the fires and floods of 2021 the most expensive climate disasters in Canadian history. The province declared a 56-day state of emergency that summer when fire consumed more than 869 thousand hectares of land. Then in November, massive floods hit the south coast. The Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives pegs the costs of the twin disasters at between 10 and 17 billion dollars. Much of that was paid by homeowners and businesses. Meantime, new research suggests heat domes might become a more common event on the south coast. The heat dome in 2021 was unprecedented. 619 people died when temperatures in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley topped 40 degrees during the day and then stayed unusually hot overnight. It was originally thought a heat dome could only happen every 200 years or so, but new research out of Columbia University shows climate change may make heat domes far more frequent, perhaps as often as every 10 years. What we learned about it is that um, it was caused by a number of factors. Um, Some of those were the specific movement of the atmosphere above it. And then some of those factors involved the um, how the land surface interacted with the heat above it. Um, And so all these contributing factors worked together to sort of um, make the heat wave end up very severe and sort of more than a sum of its parts. The study is based on 70 years of data, which scientists say limits how much we can really understand. And they say more work needs to be done to figure out what role soil moisture plays in extreme heat events. Well, Vancouver's new council has some big bills to pay, and a city report recommends Mayor Ken Sim and his ABC majority adopt a 5 to 7% property tax increase. What one councillor says about asking residents to pay more, next on the NewsHour. Remembering the incredible talent of Fleetwood Mac singer, songwriter, musician Christine McVie, coming up. Also tonight, Snow Angels, the sick community that came to the rescue of stranded motorists. That's later. Right now, though, if you own a home in Vancouver, you might be paying more in property tax next year. The 2023 draft budget outlines a 5% tax hike coming at a time when the cost of living is rising. But as Krista Dow reports, we may not see City Council making a decision anytime soon. In the city of Vancouver, year over year, housing and the cost of living continue to rise. And to no one's surprise, so too are the property taxes that come with it. This increase in the tax rate is just going to make finding homes more expensive for Vancouverites. 
It's a slap in the face. The city's operating costs pegged at $1.9 billion for 2023. It's an increase of almost 10% from 2021. City staff proposing a 5% tax increase. That's about an additional $99 per homeowner. Added to last year's taxes and the average Vancouver homeowner is expected to pay almost $4,000. The taxpayers of the city, from a government point of view, are exhausted. And now we have the double whammy of inflation. Former councillor George Affleck says the road to a balanced budget, an uphill climb for this new council. How to be fiscally responsible while delivering on key election promises, like hiring 100 more police officers, which means the rate could go up even higher. The police costs are one third of the budget, so I think we're off already to a bad start on how we're going to actually balance this budget. And now the fire department's asking for more. Who else is going to ask for more? Re-elected councillor Sarah Kirby-Young acknowledged the challenges, but says as it stands, the budget is already falling short. We do know that it doesn't fully fund our two public safety services, both uh, the VPD and Vancouver Fire, and those are important priorities. We're in an an environment of increasing inflation, um, but we also want to make sure that we try to keep taxes reasonable. Kirby-Young maintaining they'll do their due diligence and take their time. And unlike previous years, council won't have to decide until March 2023. Krista Dow, Global News. A startling twist in a high-profile murder trial. Two escaped convicts were facing murder charges. Now there's only one. The latest from the courtroom coming up. And D.C. billionaire Jimmy Pattison makes another multi-million dollar donation to health care. Vancouver police are investigating the murder of a senior in Gastown over the weekend. The body of 65-year-old Cameron Fairfall was found inside a rooming house on Abbott near Water Street on Sunday. Police say when they arrived on scene, it was apparent he was the victim of a homicide and believed he'd been dead for a few days. It's believed he was targeted. Uh, Our homicide detectives have been investigating since the discovery of his body. We've gathered a significant amount of evidence and we're working to piece together uh, anybody who he may have been in contact with um, in the moments or the days, hours, moments leading up to um, when we believe he died. Charges have not yet been laid in connection to Fairfall's death. And Vancouver police are also investigating a homicide on the downtown east side. 60-year-old Joseph Kelly was found dead November 20th inside an apartment building on East Hastings near Carroll. No arrests have been made and anyone with information is being asked to call Vancouver police. The murder trial for two men accused of killing a Machosan man is still underway in Vancouver, but in a surprise development, it'll proceed with just one defendant at this time. The judge instructing the jury the case against one will be dealt with separately. Aaron MacArthur explains the situation and has the new video evidence that was shown in court. The trial started out with two accused, but it is now down to one. Justice David Crossan instructing the jury that the trial of James Lee Bush will continue, but that of co-accused Zachary Armitage has been dealt with separately. The justice warning the jury not to speculate as to what happened. On the stand Wednesday, members of the Victoria Police Department who were involved in the arrest of the two escaped prisoners from William Head Institution. The two men were picked up just a few days after walking away from their minimum security prison. 
Video evidence shows the two men park and then get out of the victim's Ford pickup truck in Oak Bay. And then another video showing them being arrested in Victoria near the International Marina on Songhees Walk. The jury had already heard how the accused were seeking a boat to leave Vancouver Island. The pair were arrested without incident. The body of 60-year-old Martin Payne was discovered inside his own home several days later. He was reported missing after he didn't show up for work all week. Crown is alleging Payne was killed by the accused inside his home. Photographic evidence shows weapons and clothing covered in blood as well as duct tape on items of clothing. Crown has spent three weeks laying out its case against the accused. Blood spatter experts have testified, as have fingerprint experts. Crown expects to wrap up its case early next week. At this point, it remains unclear if the accused defense team plans to call any witnesses. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. The inquest into the death of 17-year-old Trayvon Desjardins is hearing from one of the last people to see him alive. Testimony focused on the Abbotsford group home where Trayvon died by suicide. He was placed there in June 2019, one of the few spots available in the area at the time. Foster parent Brett Claxton says Trayvon adapted quickly to life in his new home, but when COVID hit, Trayvon took it hard. In the last three months of his life, at least according to Claxton, Trayvon acted out, punching holes in the wall, becoming increasingly paranoid. On September 13, 2020, Claxton made a sandwich with Trayvon and said goodnight. Sometime afterward, Trayvon would be reported missing and later found dead. Well, there were some tense moments earlier tonight as Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke chaired her first Surrey Police Service Board meeting. Perhaps not surprising, considering Locke is working toward dismantling the SPS and keeping the RCMP. As Catherine Urquhart reports, one board member suggested Locke is in a conflict of interest. 33 additional officers with Surrey Police Service have been deployed this week, meaning SPS now has 187 officers on the ground. Their march toward becoming police agency of jurisdiction continuing. This as Mayor Brenda Locke chaired her first SPS board meeting. Good afternoon, everyone. This is... uh... My first, uh, my first chairing of a meeting is the chair of this board. With Locke continuing her efforts to shutter the SPS and keep the RCMP, board member Cheney Cloak challenged the mayor's ability to be chair. So, Chair Locke, you publicly state that you're against SPS and the transition and the work of this board. May I ask how you plan to fulfill your duties as chair, recognizing that you have signed an oath that states you'll be honest and impartial? to perform your duties as chair. There will be tension, and I do understand my own uh, responsibility to declare conflict when I believe my conflict is in that place. Wayne Rideout, the Ministry of Public Safety's Assistant Deputy Minister, said detailed reports are expected from SPS and Surrey RCMP by December 22nd. To this end, the Minister has shared his view that he would like to be in a position to communicate a ministerial decision as soon as possible early in the new year. The city of Surrey says its report on keeping the RCMP will go to the province December 15th. For now, this policing standoff continues. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, give the gift of buying local. We need people to come out and support local businesses. 
why the next few weeks are critical for small retailers. And tired of a blight on our beautiful coast, what it took to clean up BC's notorious Tire Island. This is BC Buy Local Week, which aims to encourage consumers to do their holiday spending at locally owned businesses. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew shows us many smaller retailers are facing increasing costs and competition, and this holiday shopping season is absolutely critical. At Obsessions Gift Shop in downtown Vancouver, manager Mark Kenna says strong sales at this time of year are critical to his bottom line. Uh, we're a speciality business, so we depend on uh, the season to support us you know, for, for the year to come. In fact, according to the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, many retailers report 40% of their annual sales happen in the six weeks leading up to Christmas. We're competing against big box chains. We're competing against um, online, or, you know, online uh, companies, uh, big like Amazon and so on and so forth. And uh, if, we, if people don't come out and support us, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult for us to survive. It's a situation made more challenging due to record high inflation coupled with a labor crisis. We've already seen a lot of business closures over the last several years. And, uh, you know, business, for businesses that are just hanging on, I think that, uh, you know, particularly in retail this season makes, uh, makes a big difference. I think of what this city would be like with just all big, big box stores. How boring would that be? Jeff Martin, a.k.a. Mr. Martini, is the owner of Dip Kicks and the Van City original brand. He's been a fixture in downtown Vancouver for over two decades, and through it all, he's seen a lot of change and challenges. The, the cost of doing business is, is going up uh, daily, you know, suppliers, wages, uh, rents, uh, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, you can only pass that on so much to the customer before they're like, hey, you know, why am I spending this much for a t-shirt. Despite those hurdles though, Martin says it's important local businesses thrive. We're the ones who add the, uh, the flavor that adds to the uniqueness of Vancouver. A uniqueness and personal touch that can make all the difference when searching for that perfect gift. We listen to what they're saying. We can give them what they want and more. And if you give us kind of, we make it special. There's, a, there's an attachment to something. And Drua, Global News. Well, more than 2,400 scrap tires have been removed from a remote islet off BC's coast. The tires were removed back in October from the islet off the east coast of Nelson Island. The tire dump site has been there since the 1990s. People have been dumping tires there for more than 20 years. The cleanup mission took two days with a 33-person team of volunteers. The tires were taken to Powell River and then transported to a tire recycling facility in Delta. The cleanup was part of Ocean Legacy Foundation's Clean Coast Clean Waters initiative in partnership with Let's Talk Trash, Tire Stewardship BC and Liberty Tire. More than six years after the overdose crisis was declared a public health emergency in this province, nothing appears to be slowing it down. The BC Coroner Service reports there were at least 179 overdose deaths in the month of October. That averages out to about six deaths per day. In the first 10 months of this year, 1,827 British Columbians lost their lives to toxic drugs. More than half of the deaths in 2022 have been in the Fraser and Vancouver Coastal Health Authorities.
Local philanthropist Jim Pattison is making a big donation to the Royal Columbian Hospital Foundation. Jim Pattison is making a gift of $30 million to the Royal Columbian Hospital Redevelopment. The money will go toward the second phase of the hospital's redevelopment project and specifically the acute care tower. The plans include a super floor featuring operating rooms and suites for radiology and cardiology. It will also have a new emergency department and larger maternity, pediatric and NICU units. The tower will be named the Jim Pattison Acute Care Tower. I think the Jim Pattison Group and the Jim Pattison Foundation is thinking about ways of what can they do for others? And this donation today obviously illustrates that. The project is expected to cost $1.49 billion and is scheduled for completion in 2025. We'll take a break, but just ahead, slow motion soccer. And the only difference is instead of running, you walk. Why these athletes say the pace is just perfect. Plus... The incredible talent of Christine McVie and what her Fleetwood Mac bandmates say about her passing. All the latest news. All the latest updates. Get it first. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get it at 11. Global News at 11. The stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News Connect. Well, the sick Gurdwara in New Westminster near the Queensborough Bridge came to the rescue of many drivers trapped on the span near, uh, during the snowstorm. Oh. Volunteers jumped into action, serving up a warm meal and refreshments to those stuck on and around the bridge. They also offered to watch vehicles while drivers used washrooms at the Gurdwara, which was just a short walk away. We suddenly decided that we have to make, we should prepare 200, 300 people meals right away so that we can feed maximum people when they need it. I don't want that this should happen again, but if this happened, we are there in a Queensboro. Whoever will listening to this global news, they are most welcome anytime, 24 hours, the doors of the temples are open for washroom or for refreshments, and they can sleep as well. That is a generous invitation. Let's hope it doesn't happen again, though, but uh, they're heroes for stepping out yeah, there no in that kidding. weather. And uh, potentially we'll see some traffic trouble on Friday. Hopefully not. Maybe we'll be better prepared. Um, And it hopefully won't be as much snow on Friday, Christy. Yeah, it's looking like it's not going to be as much snow, but I really urge everyone to stay tuned because this one, there's so much uncertainty around it. The other one that last night, we had a fair amount of confidence that we were going to see substantial snow. So there's a grave difference here in terms of the forecast. Uh, I quickly mentioned earlier the fact that we do have a few flurries possible overnight tonight. That southern Vancouver Island, the Fraser Valley. I wouldn't even be surprised if we saw a few flakes fall here in Metro Vancouver. Anyone from uh, the East Coast will probably uh, hear me 
me say this and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's talking about one centimeter of snow. But as we well know, it can be still a, lot, a little dicey on the roads with that amount. All right, so let's have a look at things. So this system is going to just ride up overnight tonight. It's very minimal and that brings in that chance of flurries. As I mentioned, it wouldn't be surprised if we saw a flake or two in Metro Vancouver, but it shifts out quickly by the morning hours and we've got a sunny day on the way. But well, as we well know, it's going to be cold. So highs will only reach zero degrees in Metro Vancouver. We're not expecting a melt. It's definitely going to be cold throughout the day. And with that Arctic air in place and this swirling mess off the coast, that brings in the potential for snow across Vancouver Island in the afternoon. Will we see it here in Metro Vancouver? I want to show you this. This model is showing that it doesn't make its way into Metro Vancouver, or if it does, it would be brief. Whereas there's other computer models like this one that are showing, well, we could see anywhere from two to three centimeters, maybe even more, that it does make its way inland. So this is going to be a really tricky one. The trajectory of this system, how much moisture pushes in, will it still be cold enough when it pushes in? And that's what we're going to be able to hone in on a little bit more tomorrow. So stay tuned. At the very least, avoid the roads for those of you across Vancouver Island Friday afternoon and for Metro Vancouver, I think Friday evening. So avoid the roads. All right, everyone. Here's a look at your forecast for tomorrow. It is going to be cold, a risk of frostbite from the northern regions down through the central interior. Highs of only minus 12 in through Kamloops. You'll see a bit of cloud cover in the morning, but that will clear quickly. And we are expecting sunshine here. Again, that slight chance of flurries, Nanaimo to Victoria and out through the Fraser Valley but overall sunny but cold tomorrow. Again, wind chills tomorrow morning could reach minus 10 in through Metro Vancouver. And then as I mentioned, there's that Friday system. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have more details for our region here. It's still later in the day, so we'll even be refining those details on Friday. So make sure you keep tuning back in. All right, tonight's central windows weather window I thought was really apropos. Uh, this is looking out over the Burning Bee Highway 1 area. Thank you to Adam Ledoux for sharing that with us. Uh, you can see there is a fair amount of moisture on the road there. So yes, potential for freezing overnight. Watch for icy conditions tonight and tomorrow morning. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, tough one today. The music world lost another icon. Fleetwood Mac's Christine McVie has died following a short illness. McVie joined Fleetwood Mac in 1970, providing her signature voice and keyboard skills. She also wrote some of the band's big hits, including Little Lies and You Make Love and Fun. McVie left Fleetwood Mac after 28 years in 1998, but she came back in 2014. The influential band confirmed her passing on social media today, calling her talented beyond measure. No cause of death or any other details were immediately provided. McVie was 79. I got to see that show in 2014 when she came back to the band. And you were lucky. Yeah, it was so good. And uh, she had the perfect maiden name as well. She sure did have the perfect maiden name. <laughs> it was Choir. perfect. It was Choir. Christine Perfect. It yeah. was Christine Perfect, that's yeah, right. I mean, she was with Fleetwood Mac when they were a blues band. And then when Buckingham and Nicks joined, everything changed. She went with the flow. She added some great songs. And, of course, they're a seminal group in mm-hmm. music history because no of her skills and the others as well. Okay. So um, one constant this season for the Vancouver Canucks, a good constant, has been the high-level play of Bo Horvath. Um, you know, we're honored to have him as our captain and leading by example every night and, you know, not just by scoring all these goals. Now Horvath's game has always been more than just goals, but those goals and everything else is going to help him get a big payday before next season. 
Also tonight, having a ball with walking footy. Aging athletes find a new way to compete. All right, Squire is here now with sports. What's up, Squire? All right, we'll start with the Canucks because the fans who went to the game last night between Vancouver and Washington to see Alex Ovechkin, they weren't disappointed. He scored two goals, and by scoring two goals, he became the all-time leader in goals scored in road games. Now, the fans who went to see the Canucks beat Ovechkin, well, they might as well have just stayed home and shoveled snow. Vancouver reverted back to bad habits, allowing way too many grade-A chances, but Bruce Boudreau says they can't dwell on that with Florida coming to town. You can't get too high and you can't get too low. If you, if you look, like if you lose six, seven, eight in a row, I can understand the devastation, the look, the... the, the the lowness, but if, if, if the coach does that, then the players pick up on that. So I've got to be upbeat, even if you're not upbeat. The game against Florida is tomorrow at Rogers Arena. Now, Bo Horvat is having the kind of season you want to have when your contract is running out like his is. Every goal he scores raises the price. The Canucks or some other team will have to pay him to get his autograph on their contract. Now, the Canucks... Canucks make that would like it to be them, and I think he would like to stay. But there would have to be some salary cap gymnastics done first. While all that goes on, Horvat just keeps polishing his resume. He leads by example, which is what he's done for a long time with the Canucks. To Miller, Deeks, Horvat scores in the final second of the period. He comes to play. You know, I mean, you don't have 17 goals in 23 games if you're not coming to play every night. Um. That's the obvious answer as to why Bo Horvath's become such a respected teammate and leader for the Vancouver Canucks. But then there's this, something you don't get to see at home or when the bright game lights are shining prior to puck drop. Uh, you look today, for example, and it's at 11.30 practice and there's two guys on the ice at 5 after 11, Miller and Horvath. Those are the, the, those are the guys that people say, well, if they can be on early... And we're going to go on early because that's what leadership does. They don't have to talk. They just have to show by example. Are you the guy that didn't go on track or are you the guy that went to the net to score? Then welcome to the NHL. What's impressive about Bo is ever since he made it to the NHL, he's worked on every aspect of his game. And don't be fooled, he's also found his voice inside the room and uses it when necessary. But as loud as talking continues to be done on the ice, where he's the Canucks' leading goal scorer this season. For a pending unrestricted free agent who's on an expiring contract with a $5.5 million cap hit, a massive raise upwards of 7.5 to $8 million a season doesn't seem a stretch for Horvat. The game doesn't change on a nightly basis, and it's just a matter of whether he scores on his looks or not. And right now, he's, you know, he's been a big part of our offense, and you know, I think that uh, he's just grown so much from, uh, from when I first got here. And you know, we're lucky to have him. To me, it's it's all about you know the big moments in the game, the defense's own faceoffs, the penalty kills, the a lot of the time the, the tough matchups, and just you know I play in 22, 23 minutes a night as a centerman. That's especially you know not a perimeter guy or nothing like that. Like that's that's a lot of work. You know, it's evolution of just his whole game. I think just from defensively to offensively, um, you know, he's shown that he's a proven goal scorer and I mean you can see a start with his start this year it's it's pretty incredible and you know he's driving the bus for our team and you know that's that's what you do as a leader 
Roberto Luongo is not going to get his number retired by the Vancouver Canucks, but he will be put in the ring of honour sometime next season. Oddly enough, though, no Vancouver goalie has worn number one since Luongo left the Canucks. Now, he played eight years in Vancouver. He's the all-time leader in wins with 252 and shutouts with 38. His save percentage with the Canucks was 919, of course. He was also recently inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He'll be the eighth member of the ring of honour at Rogers Arena. Now, Canada will finish off the World Cup tomorrow for Canada at 7 a.m. against Morocco. This is our last game no matter what. Morocco has a lot to play for, though. But it won't be the last game for Canadian coach John Herdman if Canada wants him to stay. He said he would like to be the coach of Canada for the 2026 World Cup, which, of course, we're one of the co-hosts of. There were some rumors that he might want to move on to coaching a club team somewhere else in the world, but those rumors have been dispelled. He has been with Canada Soccer starting with the women's team back in 2011. So today at the World Cup, the Socceroos of Australia pulled the upset on Denmark with this goal by Matthew Leckie in the 60th minute. And with this, Australia moves on to the round of 16. Very odd. Argentina didn't win when Messi made his penalty shot at the World Cup, but they did win when he missed his penalty shot. His penalty shot was stopped today, but... Argentina still beat Poland 2-0. That's a goal by uh, Julian Alvarez. So they move on to the round of 16. Saudi Arabia and Mexico. Look at this goal by Luis Chavez of Mexico. That's brilliant. But the Mexicans still could not get to the, the next round despite a 2-1 win over Saudi Arabia. There are all the scores. And, of course, as we said tomorrow, Canada-Morocco at 7 a.m. our time. All right, thanks, Squire. Still ahead, sports at a slower pace. The joys of walking soccer next. Well, good when the snow falls on the mountains, but what a night last night. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up tonight on the news at 11. Let's hope it's not quite as busy for you guys. Fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx it, though, Chris. Thanks. We'll have more on the people who stepped up to help stranded strangers during last night's snow chaos, including the hotel operator who brought people in free of charge. Plus, poor road conditions may have played a role in a terrible crash in Abbotsford today. A car skidded across three lanes of traffic and collided head-on with a truck. The driver of the sedan is in very rough shape. And we will, of course, be keeping an eye on the roads tonight as the temperature drops. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, as the World Cup captivates soccer fans across the country, a group in Alberta is hoping to grow a more accessible version of the beautiful game. Global's Eric Bay steps up to show how walking football is offering more players a chance to stay active and enjoy the social benefits of team sports. (laughs) The game this group plays is easily recognizable as soccer, but players have to follow one noticeable rule change to participate in walking football. For those North Americans, it's walking soccer. And the only difference is, instead of running, you walk. Mike Ross was visiting family in England when he was introduced to the sport, a low-intensity version of soccer. Players have to keep one foot on the ground at all times, and the ball needs to stay below head height. When Ross returned to Lethbridge, he brought the game with him, starting a weekly match this fall. 
Now about 14 regulars, including Nick Hodgkinson, gather every Wednesday and hit the pitch. It's been really uh, a godsend for me. Um, a year ago, I got diagnosed with cancer and underwent, uh, underwent six months of chemotherapy. Um, when I found out about this program, it's given me a great opportunity to get back involved in something I love. Help me get my fitness up and build some strength back. Getting active is one of the game's benefits, but players believe the group interaction is just as important. It's definitely the fellowship, seeing the guys. Um, we've all got a passion for the sport, and um, it's nice to still be able to represent the game in Canada. The group is open to men 50 years and older and to women 40 and above. Ross says the COVID-19 pandemic made it hard for people his age to interact. As public health restrictions have loosened, Walking football is helping participants regain a sense of community. We spent a lot of time by ourselves during the last three years and uh, we're starting to, you know, socialise way more. Players are hoping to grow that community throughout the winter before taking their matches outside for the first time this spring. Eric Bay, Global News. Good they can get out there. That's right. Are you allowed to saunter? You can saunter. Can you saunter? I was going to ask that. Do you get in trouble if you run a little bit? Can you amble? Yeah, you can. I wonder if you can amble. We're doing all of those. Amble might be a yellow card. (laughs) All right. Last word on weather before we go. All right, so sunny but very cold tomorrow. We do have a few uh, flurries that may fall from the sky, but it's more so Friday, and I'm really telling everyone it may not happen, but if it does, Mm -hmm. stay tuned. We'll have all the details. Be prepared. Okay, thanks, Christy. Good night, everyone. Good night, all.